Thank you for taking time to listen to this sermon from Hope Church Toronto North. It is our prayer that through this message, you are challenged and encouraged by the Word of God and grow in your love for God and love for others. It is God's desire for us to be members of and regularly participate in a local church under the care of qualified elders. If you are not attending a local church right now, we encourage you to take that step. If you do live in the North York area and are looking for a local church, we invite you to visit us at one of our Sunday morning gatherings to discern if this is the church God is leading you to. We're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 1. So the series is called Making Wrong Things Right. And the question we kind of want to answer today, it's cool, you can go with it. The question we want to answer today is how can we show our concern for others? Which is not easy because we have so many personal things that we're always concerned about, right? Am I the only one that got some things going on in my life that I'm like, it's easy for me to just think about myself. Let me give you some. Maybe you're, you're, you're concerned about your work. You're lonely. Maybe there's debt you're thinking about. There's school. There's illness. There's success. Sometimes success can make you get caught up in yourself. Sometimes there's fatigue. There's kids. Sometimes there's fatigue because there is kids. There's inflation. Anybody feel that one? Oh, yeah. I know I feel it at my house. And so because of all that life throws at us, it's very easy to just be wrapped up in yourself. And this is why we need Nehemiah chapter 1, because Nehemiah chapter 1 shows us that we can actually look out for the interests of others. See, Nehemiah, what he does is he shows us that we can show concern for others and how to show concern for others. Look at it. It says the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hilkiah. Now it happened in the month of Chislev, in the 20th year, as I was in Susa, the citadel. I don't really know how to pronounce any of these names, so I'm just going to say them because neither do you. <laughs> that, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And so what Nehemiah does in these first two verses, he's actually giving you the historical context of his time. And you actually need it to appreciate what is going on in it. He says, the visitors came to him in the month of Cheslev. You're like, when's that? So in the Jewish calendar, that's November and December. Then it says they came in the 20th year. That is the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, who's the same king who was reigning in Esther. Then he says, I'm in, he was in Susa. You're like, where's Susa? That was, I don't know where it is, but it was the winter residence of the Persian king. And he says, my brothers came from Judah. What Nehemiah is telling you is he's far from home. And here's why. Hopefully I can track this timeline. Cheon made it. Can we get it? It's not coming. There it is. So historical context of Nehemiah. David has made king of Israel. That's, you can read that in 2 Samuel 5. Then, you know, he lives, dies. His son takes over Solomon and Solomon builds the temple. And then Solomon has a whole bunch of kids and all that. And they make a mess of things. And then the kingdom is divided. You can read about that in 1 Kings 12. Then Assyria conquers Israel. And then Babylon 
conquers Judah. And the, the, the people are taken into exile. And you know that Bible verse everybody likes? You know, I know the plans I have for you to prosper you in Jeremiah. You all know that one, right? They like made you memorize it in, like, children's, school, in children's church. Well, what they sometimes don't tell you is Jeremiah says that when he's telling the people, you're going to be in exile for 70 years. <laughs> Your life is going to be really hard for 70 years, and I'm going to bring you back. That's what God says. So the people go into exile. Then Persia conquers Babylon. That's in Daniel 5. And then Cyrus decrees to send the exiles home. You can read about that in 2 Chronicles 36. And then some of them go home and some stay, and they start to rebuild the temple, and that's Ezra 6. That's the context of what is going on. And so what you need to see is he is far from home, but his people are near to his heart. It says in verse 2, I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. Here's the first way we show our concern for others, by checking how they're doing. You show your concern by others by checking how they're doing. And notice that Nehemiah is the one who takes the initiative. The, 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 the guys who come from Judah aren't like, yo, Nehemiah, let me tell you what's going on back home. No, he is the one who asked. He said, how are they doing? How is it going in Jerusalem? And here's what I learned from this. Don't wait for the people that you love to tell you what's going on in their life. Take the initiative and ask. Because when you ask, you might help them deal with something that is a minor issue now and protect it and stop it from becoming a major issue in their life. Don't wait. And now you're sitting there and you're like, but Marv, what if I ask and they don't tell me nothing? Because it's not like people are always wide open, right? Sometimes you ask me something and you're like, Marv, how are you? I'm like, I'm fine. And you're like, okay. But you know, like, oh, that, something's up with that brother. So you're like, what if, I do, what if I ask them something and they don't give me an answer? Well, just keep following up. You ever try just continuing to ask? Hey, I love you enough to look you dead in the face and tell you, I don't believe you're fine. Yeah? We can talk plain to each other. We're brothers and sisters. I see my boys do it too. I don't think you're okay. So tell me what's going on. Just keep asking. Here's another one. Pray and ask God to help them to open up. Follow up. And pray and ask the Lord, say, God, I pray that you just help, help Tommy just to tell me what, what's going on. He seems a little down today. And see what's going on in a person's life. In verse 3, it says, and they said to me, this is the answer to his question, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile are in great trouble and shame. The, whole, the wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed. He says, as soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And so when he gets the answer to the question, it's not like Nehemiah's like, oh, okay, that's too bad. He's, he actually gets, a, it's an emotional response. He's like, I wept for days. It shook him. And here's why. We'll go back to the context again so you understand. So the exiles return to, to, to rebuild the wall. They start rebuilding the temple and the wall. And then Artaxerxes stops the rebuilding of the wall. I'm not going to read it for you, but when you get home after your nap, read it. Because you'll understand what's going on. And so he stops the rebuilding of the wall. Here's the thing about a, a, a wall around a city. It was your defense. 
And so the wall actually being destroyed means the city is wide open to invasion. Anybody can come in and do what they want to you. Here's the other thing, if your city is not secure, people will not come in and work and trade there, so now their economy is in trouble. The other part is, every time they walked by that wall and saw it was torn down and destroyed, it reminded them of their disobedience. That's why in the text it says, the people there, in verse two, are in great shame, verse three, and trouble. Because every time they look, they see that. And so Nehemiah says, he mourned for days. The tears in his eyes flowed like a river. Here's the other way we can show and display our concern for others. We do it by mourning about their troubles. When was the last time somebody told you in church what was going on in their life and you cried for them? You actually, you, you wept. You felt, you felt something for their troubles. Again, isn't it so easy to hear somebody tell you their troubles and you start thinking about your own troubles? Here's what's going on in my life. Oh, you think your situation's bad? Here's mine. You're like, stop it. We can be so caught up in ourselves. T.J. Betts, he says, Nehemiah is not the only one to weep over Jerusalem and its people. Years later, Jesus also weeps over the poor spiritual condition of the people and the hardships that will come to them as a result of it. And he too took extreme, takes extremely bold actions to fix their situation. See, Nehemiah weeps and risks his life. You know what Jesus does? He weeps and he gives his life for you and for me. He takes bold action to remedy your situation. You wanna look at somebody who considered other people's interests above their own? All you gotta do is look at your savior. He looked at you and he said, you're in trouble, your situation is not right, it breaks my heart, but I'm not gonna just stand there and do nothing. I'm actually going to go to Jerusalem, cry, climb on a cross so that you guys can be gathered together as saints, in God's kingdom, with the future, with the glory. What do you say? Glory, what? My redeemer, what? Say it. Lives. All because Jesus was concerned for you and for me. So we can have, and what does Jesus tell you to do now? If If you're walking in newness of life, he calls you to live the same way. To show the same concern for others. What does is, what is it say in scripture? To weep with those who weep. And so maybe what we got to ask is, God, could you help me to not be a stoic kind of person? Help me to be the kind of person that's not afraid to show some emotion. To shed some tears. Right? Because I mean, sometimes I do it. I feel I'm crying and I'm fighting it back. I'm fighting it back. Fight. And God's like, mm, I'm just going to keep laying it on you until you cry. So that a brother or sister across from you can say, oh, in my troubles, there's somebody's with me. In my troubles, somebody actually cares. In my troubles, somebody actually feels what I'm feeling. And they're not just thinking about themselves. They're actually grieving over what I'm grieving about. Think about what that'll do for, for us, for one another. Nehemiah cried, but that's not all he did. He says, as soon as I heard these words, verse four, I sat down and, and wept and mourned for days and continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O oh Lord, God of heaven, the, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those 
who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant. Now that I pray before you day and night for the, pe- for the people of Israel, your servants. See, we show our concern now for others by praying on their behalf. Nehemiah said, I continued praying. Verse four, praying and fasting. When you pray and fast, you are depriving yourself of something that you want to ask God to give someone something they need. That's love, ain't it? Come on, say yes, it is. Touch somebody and say, that's love. Yeah, I'm getting back to my Pentecostal days. He said, I prayed day and night. When you believe prayer works, you're found often at the throne of grace. He said, I pray day and night. When you are really concerned for someone, you, just, you don't just knock on God's door once. You're like that friend who comes at midnight at Luke, and he's just like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the guy's like, oh, I got my kids in here. They're asleep. He's like, I don't care if your kids are asleep. You better come help me if you want them to stay asleep, because I'm going to keep knocking this door. You knock. You call on God to do his work. And here's the thing about Nehemiah's prayer. He focused on the character of God in his prayer. I want you to notice that he acknowledged God's sovereignty. See in verse five, he said, oh Lord God of heaven. What you gotta realize is Nehemiah is in Susa. The problem is in Jerusalem, but God is over it all. And isn't that the way you should see all of your problems? Is that the way you see all your problems? Oh, I didn't see this thing coming. And if you're not in trouble, if you're not in a storm right now, give it a week. I didn't see this coming, but God did. And he knows what I'm going through and he's on it. And you know why God's on it? Because you belong to him. One of the things I always try to do when I teach is I try to make sure we we are actually paying attention to our Bibles real well. I want you to notice that Nehemiah in verse 6 calls himself a servant. And as you read, maybe you're going to go home, maybe you read it before you came in. You just go back and just register how many times he says, your servant, your people are your servant, I'm your servant. And then also in verse 10, he he says, your people whom you have redeemed. What you got to realize is this is true for Nehemiah and his people, but it's also true for you. You're a servant of God and you've been redeemed by God. And what God says is those who are serve me, who I have redeemed, I never leave them hanging. And so the sovereignty of God should bless you and help you survive as you wait through the troubles. Because God is on it, he sees it, and he's not going to leave me hanging. Then I want you to notice that he acknowledges God's omnipotence. In verse five, he calls God great and awesome. Let me just say it. If God wants to do something in your life or in somebody who you're worried about in their life, nothing can stop him or slow him down. Are you realizing all the songs we sung? Yeah, we set that up. Because it's, it's true in the text. Right? Sometimes you get to a passage and you're like, ooh, the singing for this one's real easy. Just pull out all the songs you know the people love. Glory, my Redeemer lives. There's nothing that can stop our God. Isn't it true? 
That is who is in your life. Then he, acknowledged, he acknowledges God's faithfulness. Look at verse six again. He says, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. So Nehemiah is like, we've all messed up. This exile thing is on everyone. Where am I? Yes, thank you. Help me out. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you're unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of the heavens, from there I will gather them and bring them to, them, them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. There, your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and your strong hand. What Nehemiah is doing here is he's praying God's promises back to him. He's referencing Deuteronomy and a few other scriptures. And what he's doing is he's reminding you know, us and God of history. So when God rescued the people out of Egypt, that's in Exodus, he made a covenant with them. And God said, if you break the covenant you will go into exile. And what he's doing now is he's saying, we have broken the covenant. And so Nehemiah is like, the first part of your promise, God, has happened. We are in exile. But what he's actually asking God to do is to fulfill the second part. Again, T.J. Betts says, Nehemiah recalls how God promised Moses to bring judgment and finally exile for Israel's infidelity to God. And he calls God's, he recalls God's anticipation of Israel's repentance and promise and promises to restore the nation when that happens. So you're like, why is Nehemiah confessing sin in this prayer? Why is he saying we have sinned, all that? This is him saying we are repenting. Because he's saying, God, you promised that if we repent after committing sin, you will bring us back. And so he's saying, the first part of the promise has happened. Now Nehemiah is saying, as we come to you in repentance, please fulfill the second part of your promise to restore your people and their land. Nehemiah is like, God, I'm praying to you saying, yes, you have fulfilled the first part of your promise. And now we are in trouble. We are suffering. The people are, are in, a, in a tough spot. And I'm asking you to fulfill the second part of your promise. And here's the thing, when you read all the way through, God hears and God helps. And so maybe you're sitting there and you're, you're wondering, why does Nehemiah start his prayer by focusing on the character of God? He's like, God, you're, you're faithful, you're sovereign, you're over everything, you're all powerful. Why does he start here? Here's why, because you, when you remember who God is, what God can do and what God has done, it fills you with hope when you're praying for a specific person in your life. Because you're like, I'm not just asking anybody to help. I am asking the king of kings. Oh, don't worry about the babies. They always say amen to me. <laughs> you're asking the king of kings to help. And so it fills you with, you're like, yeah, this, this person's situation, what they told me, because sometimes people tell us stuff and you're like, oh, that's tough. 
I've been in lots of situations with you guys before where some of you are telling me something that's going on in your life and you're like, Marv, what do, what do you think? I'm like, I don't know. But, but I'm like, but let's pray because God knows. And you're telling me something and I'm like, I can't fix that. And sometimes I'm looking at you and honestly, I love all of you and I think you, you know that. Sometimes I want to do this to your situation, but I can't but God can. And when you, when you know who God is, it changes the way you approach prayer for yourself and for the people that you love because you're like, hmm, that looks tough, but God is on it. Come on, somebody. Don't leave me up here. Nehemiah, he prayed and focused on God's character and he ends his prayer by displaying his faith in God. Look at verse 11. It says, O Lord, let your ear be attentive to your servant. There it is again. And the prayer of your servants. So this tells you now, Nehemiah was praying, but he got some other people praying. Nothing wrong with a good prayer meeting, right? Sometimes the situation that you're praying about, you're like, "Mm, I could pray about this by myself, but I could tell a couple of other people to get them praying. Praying and fasting. Who delight to fear your name. Nehemiah and his people have a respect for God. What it means to fear God is that I believe God exists and I believe that God is in charge and I believe that God will do the things he says he will do and so I'm going to live for God. That's what it means to fear the Lord. And he says, and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. And he says, now I was cupbearer to the king. I want you to know, Nehemiah, you notice, he's very specific in his prayer. The other day I was like praying upstairs uh, in my room and I was just rambling on. And for a while I was just like, what am I saying? Have you ever prayed like that? Oh Lord, you're so good. Oh, you fill me with such hope. And God's like, can you tell me what you want? We, we, Nehemiah Yeah, he praises. It's good to give God, to magnify the Lord in prayer. That's good. But then he gets to the point. Give your servant success today and grant him mercy. And do you know what success for Nehemiah would be? It would be the king saying yes to him going home and rebuilding the wall. That's that's what would be success. That's what he he hears about what's going on back home. And he's like, I'm not going to just sit here and do nothing. So he, he wants to go help. But he's got the, the king has to say, yes. But I want you to know that sometimes in certain situations, you know, when you want something, there's obstacles. There's, Nehemiah has some obstacles. Do you want to know them? Nehemiah has obstacles. Do you talk to me? Do you want to know them? Yes. All right, here's the first obstacle. Obstacle one, the king that he's about to ask to let him go home has to reverse the decree that he made. So you got to, again, context helps you. Nehemiah, so Artaxerxes is the one who stopped the rebuilding of the wall in Ezra 4. And Nehemiah's got to go to that same man and say, hey, that decree that you made, can you just reverse that and let me go? And here's the thing, when you read Esther, Persian kings are not allowed to reverse the decrees that they've made. That's why in Esther, when the the king gives a new decree, what he says is the Jews can defend themselves. He doesn't actually reverse the order to destroy them because he can't. 
So the man has to say, hold on a minute here. You're asking me to go do the thing I told them to stop? Here's the next obstacle. Nehemiah says, now I was cupbearer to the king. You know what the cupbearer does? The cupbearer tastes the wine before the king drinks it. You're like, why? Because kings always got poisoned. (laughs) I'm serious. I read it in a whole bunch of books this week. I'm not making it up. And so the king actually has to let his bodyguard go. So the guy who should test the wine, because that's what Nehemiah would do, and say, hey, king, this is not poison. Here you go, drink it. So the king has to now put his own life at risk to actually give him success. But I want you to notice that Nehemiah calls the king. Did you catch it? What do you call him? What do you call him? You see it? Say if you see it. Give me success in the sight of this. What does he say? Man. Give me success in the sight of this man. Nehemiah is like, yes, he's the king, but he's just a man. And so this request that needs to happen, before I go make it to this man, I'm going to ask the king of every man and the heart of every man. Because Nehemiah knows if I go to the king of kings and ask, Anything can happen. Why? Because the king's heart is like a stream of water in the hands of the Lord. He can turn it wherever he wants. And so what looks impossible to us, Nehemiah is like, doesn't seem all that impossible when you really know who God is. See, this is where the text actually really challenges us. Because it forces you to ask, do I believe in my life that God can do for people what looks impossible? Think, some of you right now, you probably have somebody on your mind, you're like, "Mm, I'm concerned about them. Maybe it's a health thing, maybe it's just poor life decisions, whatever it is. And you're like, but that looks like it could never change. It looks impossible. Nehemiah might look at you and say, well, do you know your God? Do you know the character of God? And so the text forces you to say, do I believe God can do what looks impossible? Because here's the thing. When you believe that God can do what looks impossible, prayer lives. But when you don't, it dies. And so Nehemiah is like, I believe. And so he prayed. And here's the thing. His actions, because he believes, we're going to get into chapter two and you're going to see how, you're going to, and through this whole book, you're going to see how God works. He believes and so he prayed and his actions changed people's lives. Think about what your prayer could do. Sons, you can come if you want. Think about what your prayer, if you choose to, to pray and ask God to do a good work in somebody's life that you love, think about how their life might actually change. Think if you take, you know, five minutes a day to pray and fast and not just worry about yourself for a minute. And sometimes it's okay to worry about yourself. Don't get me wrong here. 
But if you just take a minute to say, I'm going to look out for the interests of someone else. I'm going to look and believe that God can do what seems impossible because I really love this person and I really believe that God can move and work powerfully. So I'm going to actually pray. I'm not going to just sit here and wonder. And just imagine how their life can change. I'll bet you right now, there's nobody who's in glory with Nehemiah that's like, oh brother, I'm, I, I'm really upset that you took those steps for us. When he entered into glory, they were clapping. They're like, get that brother's crown because he served faithfully. He cared about somebody beyond himself. Nehemiah, what he shows you, ultimately he is who Jesus is. He looks and he says, you need help. And so I'm going to do something. And Jesus says, you now turn around, Marvin, your people, the people in our church and be the same. And actually live like you believe God can do powerful things and change lives through your prayer. Sometimes we underestimate the things that we can do if we choose just to obey God. And follow the example set out in scripture. We underestimate the way God can use us. Sometimes like, I want God to use me in people's lives. And God's like, yeah, just pray. Because I think, oh, it's my words, it's, it's all my smoothness, it's my friendliness, it's my warmth, da, da, da. and God's like, nah, bro, it's me. Pray willingly, consistently. You know, he said, I prayed for days. What we're going to see next week is, you know how long the brother prayed? Four months. When you do the math and God comes through. What do you think God can do in your life if you choose to do the same? What Nehemiah shows you is if you're really concerned about somebody in your life, you can't do nothing. You should do, and I should do, something. Let's stand and pray. God, we give you thanks for the word. God, we praise you for the way it rejoices our hearts. We give you thanks, Lord God, for the way it enlightens our minds. We give you thanks, Lord God, that the way your word makes wise the simple. I pray, Father, from sitting under it, that we would be in a place now of wisdom. I pray, Father, that we would be in a place now where we're ready to walk in what you've put in front of us by the power of your Holy Spirit. God, thank you for the privilege and the opportunity to serve your flock. Help us to walk in the truth that we've heard today. Now we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. For more resources or information about Hope Church, visit hopetorontonorth.com.